This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 2, Construction and Warfare. Music by Ben Prunty. Featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. We're back for we'll call it episode two. Yeah, another um, one. We're gonna we're gonna talk about um, two more strategy cards this time and a bunch more races. Uh, this is gonna be a lot more of a race focused uh, episode. Um, but kind of building off the basics of last time, uh, let's just dive in. Um, we're gonna skip politics for now. If you thought we were going to keep going in order, one, two, three, four, we're not. We're going to jump around, and I want to jump to construction, because construction is incredibly easy to understand, but it's a huge change from Twilight Imperium 3. The way it used to work is you would build stuff just like you build anything else. You build a space dock, cost you four resources, yada, yada, yada. Uh, They completely revamped that, and now your space docks and your PDSs are not like normal units. You cannot build them on your own volition. You do not build them. You construct them by using construction. Um, when you play construction, you build either a PDS or a space dock, and then another PDS. So two PDSs or a space dock and a PDS, and you put them on any planet you control. Uh, and the secondary is for everyone else to basically build a space dock or a PDS. So construction is going to be, I think, very weird in that it will not get played every round of the game. But every round that it does get played... Everyone will use it. Right. Because everyone will have been starving themselves out mm-hmm. to get another space dock on the border, all the PDSs that they need, and there will just be these huge waves of everyone really needed construction to get played this round. Mm-hmm. But it might be every two or three rounds. It's that cool it, that they don't cost any money. Yeah. Like, that's, that's just, you get it. Um, and I think it's great because it controls the pacing more, and it makes... The system of space docks was just so messed up before. Um, it was so slow and very difficult to explain to people and they've completely changed all that so now when a space lock hits the board you'll be able to build out of it that round Um, unless you've already activated that system unless the system's already activated but that's you know normal rules um and pds's they do still have the same rule if you can only have two pds per planet but that's way more easy to control now that you're not just trying to like build your six pds and throw them on the board or whatever it's like you're only getting one at a time anyways so it's a very gradual process i have a question um so on the primary ability of the construction card it says place one pds or one space dock on a planet you control and then it has another bullet point that says place one pds on a planet you control does that mean that i get to place two pds yes. on different planets yes. and then one space dock on one of the planets that i place a pds on you can yeah the, it's it's either two pds or oh, I see. one space dock, one PDS. I see. Yeah. And the two PDS can be on different planets. Okay. But but yeah, it's it is a separated separated thing. I see, yeah. I didn't see the or. Yeah. So I was thinking it was like two PDS and a space dock, that's no. kind of a lot. Yeah, no no. Let's talk about building stuff then and how building stuff has changed. Mm. Um space docks are gonna hit the board. I don't know if the space docks are gonna hit the board faster. Or not, but it will definitely be units coming from those space docks will be much faster. I think they will hit the the 
reward faster yeah. because they don't cost money. They don't cost money, and when construction gets played, the first two times construction gets played, everyone's going to use it to build space docks, I think. I think everyone is going to build all their space docks by round th- two from now on. Yeah. I think that's always going to be. Provided construction gets played that early. And honestly, early game, I don't know why else you, like, construction should be something someone is picking mm-hmm. in the first two rounds, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I think you're going to see people with their space docks out very early and ready to build stuff out of them. Um, so, most races build now. What's interesting is construction replaced production. Mm-hmm. which is the old way people used to build all the time. You could build with a tactical action, but everyone would just hold out until production got played, and then everyone would build stuff. See, I would... Uh, my personal strategy was always to double up. Well, sure. I would build twice around yeah, yeah. if I wanted to build. Um, but the big, the big thing is, now the only way that you can build is through a tactical action. The, I, I like is, I, like, I like it it slows it slows the game down a bit in a good way in a way that makes sense thematically you need to be producing stuff before your armies can just hit the table and start attacking mm-hmm. um, I also think it'll it'll make you value the fleets that you do have yeah. more yeah they're less expendable because they cost honestly I mean they cost more with the old production to yeah. get to build so many units for free um yeah, it just it just made those things cost yeah. less. Now it always costs a whole turn and a, a command command counter, counter. Yeah. and then the money that it costs to build yeah. all those things. It's a it's a big investment to buy units, and because of what we've already said about units needing to be on the board and you need to have a board presence, it's going to be a necessary step. So you're going to be taking those tactical actions to build. Mm-hmm. Like there's just no way around it. So again, they're doing this really awesome balance of like these necessary costs that are are hard to hard to work around and i like the simplification of it too a lot of the strategy cards are a lot simpler as far as the language that's used to describe what they do yeah and also just their effect like it's just you get a pds and a space yeah. dock it's Done. so simple yeah um so it's hard to talk about building and not talk about hunter's favorite race it's not my favorite race well it's second favorite race and it's it is my second favorite it's race. the more often most this is not most people's favorite no race. most people and don't for like it to be this, this high in your book um is a big deal the arborec uh has a really interesting twist on how you build what i will say about how they've chosen to organize twilight imperium 4 is it has made some races very confusing to understand thematically Mm -hmm. there is this weird issue of if you didn't understand what the arborec were beforehand the new race sheet does not help you understand them you kind of need to know what twilight imperium 3 arborec were like to understand what twilight imperium 4 arborec are like because the only thing you get on the race sheet as far as racial abilities is as far as text space as far as text is your space docks cannot produce infantry well that doesn't sound very good at the start of the status phase place one infantry from your reinforcements on any planet you control that sounds awful it sounds like a a bad thing and then you look at the infantry card Mm -hmm. and you see that it says that the infantry have a production of one and that's in a very tiny text and if you miss that if you're looking at this race sheet for the first time and you don't understand the angle of this race and you miss that production one on the infantry, you're going to be like, this race 
only has a handicap. Yeah. Like that's all that they have, yeah. and they really don't. They're they're actually thematically. See, that's the whole thing. Is I don't think that that the Arborek is like a strategically like a great race. I just love the thematic yeah. aspect of them so much. But strategically, especially in Twilight Imperium Four, with the new way that building works. They are incredibly effective. Here's the biggest thing to note, and we're going to talk about this with Arborek, and we're going to talk about this with our next race, but the Arborek used to be limited to how they could build because if a ground force moved within a turn, you would not be allowed to build out of them that yeah. round. And that is gone. You can now build with previously moved ground forces, which is huge because that means every turn you're just going to be moving and building, moving and building, moving and building, mm-hmm. and the theme of this terrifying plant just swarming the galaxy is way more evident and um i think as far as judging races production capacity against each other arborek is going to be up at the top as far as like their ability to get stuff on the board because with most races you're going to be sacrificing a tactical action to build and with the arborek they are building as they are moving yeah. and as they are as they doing are everything else. So they, they are not wasting that action to Literally, do the build. Literally, the way it works now, the Arborek will be able to move at the end of every single thing that they do, basically. Yes. Anything that involves moving their infantry forward, which if you're playing them correctly, you will be doing that. You're not going to need all your space docks, probably. Yeah. I mean, you probably will get them, uh, but you're you're probably not going to need them. Yeah. Um, I will say that the one way I feel like they have been nerfed um, a little bit, what they've really been hurt by is uh, the new carrier capacity. Mm, mm-hmm. Because it's lower, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. And I'm actually, it actually might be a big enough problem for me to say that the Arborek might have taken a pretty big hit. Um, because that, that carrier capacity starting at four, and then you need to be, you know, I mean, it, you're going to have to have like at least two carriers. Yeah. To be to have like a successful Arborek fleet, um, and having that restriction, that might be a that might be a real problem. Here's how I think they counteracted that problem. Their flagship is very good their and solves is, that yeah. problem. The, because well, their flagship is completely necessary. Capacity now. five, mm-hmm. and after you act, I don't know why this doesn't have the same wording as everything else in the game. Because really, it's it should say it produce five on its text, but it doesn't. It says after you activate this system, you may produce up to five units in this system well i think the reason they didn't put production there is because uh it's not it's it wouldn't happen in the regular production step and also it's the only thing that would produce in space you know what you're right this is it's interesting i was reading it wrong because it's not it you wouldn't do it during the normal production step this is immediately after you activate Activate the system which really means it's not after its own movement because when you activate a system that the ship isn't in, oh, see, that's you wouldn't be I doing the ability. It. That I interpret it to say, if you activate the systems that that ship is in, you can immediately, before anything else happens in that system, produce out of that ship. Ooh, which is very that is, weird. That's kind of tough. Because the way I was thinking it was, um, you have your flagship in your fleet. You activate a system that you're going to move everything to, and literally before you move in, you, you build. build. Yeah. You build as you move. I think that's too. Right I think fight. I think it's not that because that would be incredibly powerful. I mean, you you would be able to attack someone with a fleet that they didn't know existed. 
Which is crazy. That's too much. So it's definitely not that. It is absolutely that you have to activate that exact system, which is weird then because then it makes it a kind of mobile base that doesn't require a space dock. It's I like kind of better like than a, a space dock. It's like a moving space dock that you can literally have your flagship hang out on its own and yeah. have your real fleet over here and then your your and it, your yeah, it could. You know what? Actually, maybe it's meant to be more thought of this way. It's like it's dropping spores. Yeah. Like you, you yeah. move it around, and it sets up a whole new and that's fleet, how you, yep. and then you move it, and you don't move that fleet with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, their racial tech is really interesting too. I don't know if it's must get, but it's it's definitely very tempting. Uh, at the end of the status phase, you may remove any number of infantry from planets you control and place them on one or more planets you control in the same or adjacent systems. So again, you can swarm out. That one is very good. I think that one is important with the new capacity problems that they're yeah. probably going to run into. Yeah. Like you're you're not the old way that you would play Arborek is you would have infantry on every planet like mm-hmm. how Soul does, but I think because of the capacity problems now, I don't think you're going to see that as yeah. much. I think you're going to see the ground units kind of following the fleet. Yeah. Um, but um, and their other racial tech, which is probably is crucial to get is to upgrade their infantry to have a production of two. Instead of only being able to produce one thing per unit, you'll be able to produce two things per unit, and it gives them the same die roll ability. Uh, slightly worse, but uh, they can revive themselves and go back home. Can I say that is completely must-buy? Yeah. Like, that is, like, yeah. to anyone listening that is going to play Arborek in the future, I believe that that is, like, completely essential and is going to determine whether Arborek is, like, because to be fair, like even though Arborek was my number two race for TI3, mm-hmm. I do not hide that. They weren't even a top 10 race when it comes down to it. Winning. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. as far as like their abilities. No, no, no. I don't think so at all. Yeah. I don't think the community felt that way. And honestly, I think if the chips are down, and I'm being completely honest, I don't think I felt that way. Yeah. I just felt like the, their theme, is very, I really, really dug. Yeah. Um, and it works better. But um, I think I think there is a... If they can get over the capacity problem... Uh, then I think they're uh, and and if you if you upgrade those uh, ground units because ground units with production at two is gonna be that's yeah. huge that yeah. is huge uh, and they start with four infantry so they start with an, a sizable enough force to get a bunch of things out there and then be able I, I don't to think get you're gonna online. need to build the space stocks this time I yeah. used to build space stocks with them I used to end up doing it and every time I would do it I feel a little dirty because yeah. I would be like this isn't even the point of this race but like I really don't think you're gonna need to anymore I might be wrong but I don't think you will yeah so let's talk about the other really weird production race that also benefited a lot a huge amount from this new thing of their stuff can build after it moves, and that's the Clan Asar. Mm-hmm. Uh, in TI3, I would say Clan Asar was um, one of the worst races. Really low Because TI. the rules specifically hurt their abilities. It felt like the game makers had designed the theme of this race, and then before they even released it, decided to nerf the bejesus out of them Mm -hmm. and to a point where they just weren't really workable so their whole thing is that they don't have to have their home system to claim objectives which means they get to be a nomadic race that just runs around uh and takes over systems their space docks are mobile they they have a move of one which no other space dock has any sort of movement capacity. And now they can move and produce. Now they can move crazy. and produce. Before, if your space dock moved, it wasn't going to be able to produce that room, that round, which meant, why am I the mobile race if I actually can't move and move build? And build? 
Um, and to, to add to that, they have the same ability of when they take control of a planet, they gain a trade good. So they are incentivized to just keep scouring the galaxy, running around, being a problem, um, being for, a problem everybody. for everybody else. Um, and the new space docks allow them to do that in a much, much more advantageous way. Uh, I think they've jumped up the t- you know Before they were maybe like 16th out of 17, mm-hmm. and now they are top 10. I want to say something about Klanisar that I feel like, um, for the record, I don't think I ever played them Mm -hmm. uh, in a game of TI3. I always, when I first heard about them, I was really interested in the race, and then once I saw people play them, I was like, this isn't a very good race. But I will say this, I did have one theory, and I feel like it still applies. Um, I think if you're playing Klanisar, you should have the highest fleet supply than anyone playing, and I never saw anyone play that way. I always felt the whole thing about Klanisar, and it seems obvious, but I am just going to say it out loud, is that you need to have the biggest fleet, and you really only need one, but it needs to be so massive that no one is going to touch you. I think a lot of people do know that. I think the people we've played with haven't always done that way, but there is a thing like online communities that it's called the Sarball. Like people mm-hmm. know about the Sarball and it is exactly mm-hmm. that. It's just this huge unstoppable fleet that mows down everything it tries to go through. Um, and yeah, I, I agree completely that that, that should be your priority. I think it's important as the Klanisar to have a second sizable force. I think you need two fleets, one that's your huge monster and one that is enough to not get just like easily picked off by someone else because mm-hmm. you need to be getting those trade goods from taking control like of a harassment. yeah you just need a harassment force mm-hmm. you need your big main one that just storms through people and then you need your harassment force um their flagship is it's fine it's good anti-fighter barrage could be really nice. important could be really important if you're to, going up against the nalu with yeah that, that, that might be awesome it's a big deal um their tech is very interesting situational and i think we'll talk about it more when we talk about trade but i'll just bring up what it is um one of them is other players cannot activate asteroid fields it's called chaos mapping. chaos mapping is other players cannot activate asteroid fields that contain one or more of your ships at the start of your turn during an action phase you may produce one unit in a system that contains at least one of your units that has production that is doing two things at once it's really two different techs that they've just combined into one well because it's not super great tech in my opinion yeah the the first one relies on the new knowledge that you can activate asteroid fields and stay in them which used to not be a thing you Mm -hmm. could only pass over them and now that people can go into asteroid fields i don't know how often you'll be really needing or wanting to do that but clanisar can lock people out of those we'll talk about that more in trade because that has a lot of really specific trade implications Mm -hmm. but that ability by itself is certainly not no great no so they added the whole other thing of producing a unit um basically at the start of your turn which is really good and gives a good reason to go for that tech because um that one unit later on in the game could be like we like we were just saying with the arborek they can build a war sun at the beginning of their turn Mm -hmm. and then move it in so you as an opposing player, may have had no idea that a war sun was about to step on your front door. But that is kind of cool. Suddenly... It's just kind of a nice bonus, so I don't feel like it's like a make-or-break kind yeah. of tech. The, th- the thing I want to say about 
chaos mapping. Uh, and it's funny because th- they have a similar tech in TI3. Mm-hmm. And it always struck me as really odd uh, because, like we just said previously, they seem to be like a race that benefits from maybe having like a giant fleet that they're moving all around the map so yeah. that they can keep scavenging. Yeah. So then why do they have a tech that's basically like, hey, just sit still and no one can touch you like yeah. it just doesn't seem sit in the asteroid it field. doesn't seem right and it's like i the way I, I thought about it one time and i was like maybe the whole point is like if you f***ed up you can go hide in the asteroid right. field but now how situational does that sound yeah. like that that's like okay so you need an asteroid field that's in a good spot and also you messed up and right. so now and it's right. also you can right. flee to it like it's like it's it's a it's one of those tech that I remember when I first read it, I was like, that is so cool. Yeah. And then once I actually sat down at the board, I was like, this is not anything special. good. Yeah. yeah. I think I agree, but depending on the map, and again, this is not a great thing to have working for you, but depending on the map layout and who an asteroid field is next to, the trade implications are huge. Yeah, yeah. And when we get to trade, the, there's a whole other context for this tech. And I do, I com- yeah. I'm completely with you that, but that is, the, when That's we get to that, super now we're getting really weird. Yeah, yeah. It's still situational, yeah. though. Um, their other tech is just to improve their space stocks. Uh, move of two, which is huge. Increase the production to seven, capacity five. I think this is a required get. I think that one is pretty good, too. Uh, I, I, uh, the capacity f- is the capacity the same or is that an improvement so okay. one it's a one step improvement ah, well, I mean, but the better production something. value is big yeah. 5 to 7 because the difference between these space docks and other ones is normal space docks are attached to a planet mm-hmm. and are improved by those numbers and now you are limited to 5 units unless you upgrade to the 7 right and and, and keep in mind that um, your space docks for the clanasar uh, can basically do the exact same purpose that carriers do yeah. which you is just cool. don't really need carriers with your with your force especially if you upgrade them yeah and you get that the flat the flagship's not great, but whatever. You may, maybe get it. Yeah. Maybe get it. I don't know. Um, so let's move on a little bit from construction and let's talk about warfare. Warfare's back. Um, I haven't used Warfare One in a long, long, long time because I think we just kind of got really into using the white cards uh, from Ti Three yeah, and the second, um, and the high alert token was really cool. But I always missed old Warfare because it's really a different beast and mm-hmm. it's i always even thought it was named incorrectly because it wasn't always meaning you were going to do warfare with it sometimes you used it for all all right. sorts of other and abilities. you still might not yeah. like use it for actual war so the ability is to remove one of your command tokens from the board um but they've made it a lot better because you then really get to it's, it used to go to your reinforcements, but now you get to put that command token right back onto your sheet. Mm-hmm. So it's as if you took a turn, and then that turn never cost you anything. It is essentially, and I think this was their original intention, and that they then abandoned, and now they've gone back to. Yes. I think the whole point of Warfare is, again, I think the name is wrong for the strategy card, but um, it's supposed to be a surprise Mm-hmm. basically it is a, it's a tactical it's maneuver literally hey um whatever you thought i was doing this round i'm not doing that yeah um instead i'm doing this yeah um that can be warfare but sometimes it's just like surprise production sometimes it's yeah so many different things but yeah it's weird that they name it warfare i guarantee you it still won't always get used for war yeah. 
The secondary ability is finally fixed too. On both versions of Warfare, it was the worst secondary ability, so rarely used, the most situational secondary ability of like moving a random destroyer. Oh yeah. Yeah, never that used. Stupid. But now, uh, contrary to what we were kind of saying uh, with uh, construction, this is the only other way to produce. Um, the secondary is to spend a token from your strategy pool and use production ability of one of your space stocks in your home system. Home system. I like that they make it yes, specific that it has to be your home too. system space stock. Um, so you're you're pulled back from the board on it, but that's the only other way you can produce. Um, it doesn't activate the system, so that's worth noting. That's mm-hmm. It's a very powerful secondary, and just like everything else so far, I love that it works in conjunction with the warfare ability, like the the typical thing is someone's using warfare to be more aggressive. So in reaction to that, you get to build up and prepare to defend yeah, yourself. Yeah. And just thematically, just two sides. great. Yeah. So let's talk about a few warfare races. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to shoot through some of these pretty quickly, but um, we'll see. The first one, um, and I, and I think the um, easiest to talk about just because of. There aren't that many changes, and the changes that did happen are very simple to understand. Yeah. Uh, the Barony and Letnev um, have essentially the same ability, but but certainly better. Of at the start of each round of space combat, you may spend two trade goods, uh, and you may re-roll any number of dice during that combat round. This used to be spend the trade goods and re-roll one dice, and now it's mm-hmm. all of them. So that's huge. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, requires them to have the trade goods, though, which is... We'll see how hard that is to do. I think Hunter and I are both of the opinion that trade goods are going to be all over the place in TI4. Mm-hmm. But and I think hugely important. And be hugely important, but I, I have seen other people think that it might be a non-starter because everyone's just so afraid to to do it but i think trade goods are going to be all over the place and that is going to benefit the barony of letnev in a big way or more likely it's going to make people's relationships with the barony of letnev really really weird because just like in ti3 no one wanted to trade with letnev because they're going to use those trade goods to do better in combat right so uh and their other ability which is a one step up in improvement from their previous one is that the maximum number of non-fighter ships you can have in your system is two more than your fleet supply so it used to be one more now it's two more so if you have three fleet supply you can have five ships so they'll always have the most. they'll just always have a huge unstoppable army um here's the thing about the barony Aletnev. they were already a pretty decent race I would say. I've I've seen people online say that they're not very good, which I think is crazy. I think that is crazy. But I think they start off good, and their tech and flagships make them insane. Mm -hmm. I think they have one tech in particular that is a required get for Mm -hmm. me, and even their flagship is pretty important. Their flagship is other players' units in the system lose planetary shield at the start of each space combat round repair this ship. It's really two abilities in one. One is they can't be PDF. Dude, and it could have just been one of those. It could have been one of those, and it would have been good. Acceptable. Yeah. Um, so your ground forces, or you, you you can bombard through. It's like a war sun. You can bombard through PDSs, and you're gonna repair the ship every single combat round. That's so crazy. It could have just been the repair ship thing, and it would yeah. still have been like this is. Crazy. And one of their tech is also when one of your units uses sustained damage, cancel two hits hits instead of one. I think to some people that doesn't sound like a huge deal. Like, it sounds like a good tech. But every time I've seen this tech get used, 
in a game, it has been absolutely huge. You get three dreadnoughts on the board. Yeah. That's six Done. hits that That's they can it. soak. Yeah. It's just like you have this unstoppable army. You have what you do is you have you have three dreadnoughts or just an amount of units that all have sustained damage. Yeah. A couple. And then you have like a fighter squad mm-hmm. and then you're get you're just it's ridiculous. You're because unstoppable. you're it's like you're soaking so much damage yeah. and then even after that a fighter squadron. Yeah. Here's like, the picture I want to paint with Baronia Lutnev. You get non-Euclidean shielding, which is the tech we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You get your flagship. Your flagship has sustained damage. So every round, your flagship is sustaining two, two hits damage. and then repairing itself and then being able to again sustain those two hits. And with its capacity of three, it's got six fighters. So if any hits go beyond those two hits, you're just soaking up six hits of damage with fighters. Also, for the record, the flagship also hits two on a five. Which is an which amazing is, roll. That's great. It's a it's a double dreadnought, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a capacity of three. So there's three fighters right there. You don't even six. need the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I said six before, but I meant yeah. three. Yeah, three fighters that are soaking damage. It's just like... If you have your flagship and two dreadnoughts, that's it. That's all you need. The only and limit is that it can only move one, and you can't really upgrade it in any way yeah. since it is a flagship. But I mean, you don't need that's to. Not really. A big You're just deal. gonna waltz through people. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just so good. Um, so in terms of gameplay capabilities, they're just they'll just have this unstoppable. They're force. probably the best race we've talked about thus far. I Probably. think. I mean, the the only other really great race we've talked about in a traditional sense is the Nalu. Nalu. Yeah. And I mean, while I prefer the Nalu to the Barony, the Barony is actually not a race that I enjoy playing. Right. Um. They are like, the Barony of Latinov is, I think, one of the best races. I think if anybody says anything besides that, they're crazy. They're yeah, being ridiculous. They haven't they haven't seen Barony at their like full power. Yeah. Um. Because it's just unstoppable. Yeah. I can't I've even seen, believe. I can't believe people say that. I've so seen five normal dreadnoughts go up against two barony dreadnoughts and lose yeah i mean that's some decently lucky rolls but it's not crazy lucky rolls yeah um so let's move on to another warmonger race this one's much easier to go over sardak nor incredibly this is a base game race incredibly basic ability apply plus one to the results of your units combat rolls all of them um this is actually a downgrade from um previous iterations of Sardak Noor because PDS fire and bombardments are not considered combat rolls anymore. So they really have less of an advantage on that mm-hmm. front. Uh, they also start with no tech. I know that's something... I- I'd like to address this actually real quickly. We haven't really been talking about most races like starting units and starting tech, and that, that we definitely recognize that as a big part of their starting ability, like what they're capable of. Um, but I just feel like there's other things that are more important to talk about, and maybe in the future we'll we'll go back and we'll talk about maybe starting maybe units. But I, the biggest thing is it's hard to know how good these starting forces are going to be until we've actually played a few games. So when we're talking theoretically, all we can do is talk about. Ooh, also, I just had a really good idea for an episode that I'm going to include in this episode that I'm going to say right now is we should do an episode in the future where we do we go through every race. And we talk about round one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the round one episode. Can, that is a promise. Episode. So we'll do that. Yeah, that's what we'll do in the future. Um, so yeah, Sardagnor technically took a hit to their only ability, uh, lost their tech. They did get a better starting force, so that is important to note because that was probably the Sardagnor's biggest problem. Oh yeah, yeah. They used to be like they had the oh, it's great. Worst. They got plus one damage rolls, but like they have a horrible mm-hmm. start every round. Yeah, or every game. Sorry. Um. 
they their their flagship is a little bit worse than their old flagship. Apply one to the result of each of your other ship combat rolls in the system. I think that's different. That might be the exact same wording, but I'm pretty sure their old ship was just another plus one, to which everybody. just means it doesn't include the ship itself. itself. Yeah. Um, their tech is an upgrade to their dreadnoughts, where you can't use direct hit action cards against it. That's a really specific. Mm-hmm. useful i mean it's nice to have that because honestly that is the number one reason to not do us the same damage is mm-hmm. once people start having action cards everyone is afraid of direct hits but still it's just not it's super situational but the other ability of that dreadnought is after a round of space combat you may destroy this unit to destroy up to two ships in this system not bad uh we're going to talk about the yin brotherhood in a minute and we'll go over why this sort of ability though isn't really anything that i get excited about. yeah yeah it's nice it it is funny that are we gonna talk about them next yeah oh that's so funny because sardak nor have their own set of advantages and one of those advantages is is basically the entire yen brotherhood advantage yeah and they have it just as an option with one unit yeah and it's better and it's better (laughs) it is better and they don't need to get it you know that i would not call that uh, a must get yeah that tech um, and they're it's technically an upgrade, I guess. Yeah, it's just yeah. an upgrade. Um, and their other tech is after making combat rolls during a round of ground combat, if your opponent produced one or more hits, you produce an additional hit. This is okay, but again, it's only used during ground combat and just not a must get. It's good. It, it helps them, but... I would say if you're Sardak Norik, it kind of feels to me like you're your flagship and your racial tech are not essential but that's not necessarily a bad thing Mm -hmm. um i would just focus on everything else that's the problem that's why i don't think i think maybe the flagship is a must or close to a must must get get? but the problem with sardak nor is you start on such a low footing in the tech game that any tech is too difficult to go for that to play into your advantage you just need to be building up your fleet Mm -hmm. like if you have plus one to combat you need to be having combat and you're not going to be having combat if you're wasting all your money on tech. Yeah. You need to just be getting your fleets huge and going out and striking out against people. You're playing a game right now. You're in, you're in progress on a game as yeah. Sardagnor. Um, do you feel... In TI3, sorry. Yeah. Um, do you feel like uh, you had a lot of options of different like like ways to play? or like Because the thing I've always felt with them is... Uh, when I play them, I'm like, oh, cool, I have plus one. But I just don't know what to do with yeah. it. Like I... Yeah, I think I think about the Sardak Nor as you are playing the basics of TI only a tiny bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like you say, that means you don't have anything lending yourself to like other more interesting strategies. You really just have to do the fundamentals very well. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're... It's almost like you're... It's like one step away from playing as like a human character. Yeah. Like it's like like everything. Your stats are basically. I don't. I, I know it's weird to talk about in this way. I know some people, especially when you start playing the game, you're like plus one to all combat. That's insane. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I feel like it's really not because strategically it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to a lot of very specific options. We it's could more we just could like, someone okay. who is better at math than me could do the statistics out and see how much of an increase that is. And I just feel like it's probably negligible. Yeah. I've always felt that way, too. I don't know. I mean, maybe we're just a weird group, because I know some yeah. people really like them. Yeah. I will say this. Uh, this is something that's always bugged me. Bug. Bug. Sardak Nor. Bugs. They're bugs. Um, their ability 
is very weird to me as the bug race because I just I feel like Sardak Nor and Federation of Soul got switched. Yeah. In every other game, D and D, all these other things, the humans are the ones that just have the like. Here's a plus one to the stuff. Here's, yeah. Here's the basic yeah. upgrade to the thing. And the bugs are always the, there's billions of us. And you can swarm. And you yeah. can swarm. And in Twilight Imperium, for whatever reason, they flipped it, which is cool. I still love Sardak Nor, but thematically, I've always, I mean, I guess it's just that Sardak Nor is starship troopers, and they're just really good at tearing people up. But I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I I think, I, I yeah, I think there's definitely somebody who's heard that before. It works for Flan- Fantasy Flight. Fantasy Flight. Fantasy Flight. So, let's talk about Yin Brotherhood. You know, I don't. I I think this race is actually. I think most of the TI community just like really doesn't like this race and has no doesn't. They're not like you. So when you when you yeah. intro it with that kind of like, let's talk about them. <laughs> See, the reason he's like that is because he likes this race. Yeah. Really, you know, I've seen other people. I've seen some people online that think this new Yin is very good, and I do not get it. What do they say? What is their all. what did their Let's talk about what their abilities are so we can figure out what people maybe say is good about it. Okay. Um, So at the start of a ground combat, you may spend two influence, spend two influence. Meaning you have to tap a planet. Tap a planet to replace one of your opponents participating infantry with one infantry of your reinforcements. That's a good ability. That's fine. It's not great. It's not great, but it it, it has certainly helped them take planets very easily. Mm-hmm. So if that's what we're worried about is taking planets, then it's it's a pretty good ability. But just Might be a good counter to something like Solar Arborette. Yeah, yeah. Um, their other ability: after each space battle round, you may destroy one of your cruisers or destroyers to produce one hit and assign it to one of your opponent's ships. Can I say already these two abilities? are not in sync with each other on yeah. in any way yeah because so you're sac- so you're meant to sacrifice your space units mm-hmm. to win space battles or to just like to just be Neutral. annoying yeah and then what how so then you're also somehow getting to the ground combat like it they just they don't synchronize at yeah. all yeah. they're they're opposing yeah and i will say as with any game where there's like a ability that lets you hurt something of yours what you gain out of it needs to be more yeah this is breaking even and it costs you to sacrifice part of your fleet that is just it's stupid it's stupid why why would the i mean i get they're basically supposed to be terrorists i i believe that's a cult it's a cult cult terrorist thing and why would like why do they not there's nothing that makes up for that loss. Yeah. It's not a huge boost, and there's nothing to make up for it. So the problem I have with it is, why would I just openly decide to destroy one of my units when I can keep rolling and not lose that unit and yeah. potentially get the hit? Right. Because they're also going to be rolling. The only way I would do it is if it's my five destroyers against his dreadnought. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, then I'll, I'll destroy some some destroyers to take out that dreadnought but in any normal space battle it's going to be two cruisers some fighters a destroyer you're still just like burning money yeah you're burning your money to to have maybe not even win the fight like i just don't understand like 
how you're supposed to play this race and have it be effective. You have to build a ton of cruisers and destroyers. Like, mm-hmm. that just needs to be your whole right. force. You have to have a large fleet supply with big fleets full yep. of garbage units, and you're just destroying them yeah. constantly. What are, you, what are you gaining out of that? It's Nothing. also, you know what? I'll, I'll be petty about it. It's also just, like, boring. Yeah. Like, it's not cool. Nothing make. about that makes me want to do that. Mm-hmm. The, the infantry one, a little bit. Like, being able to convert units... That's cool. That's exciting, but there's nothing should, to get me there. I think they should have leaned into more of that part of it yes. and less, like, the terrorist part of yeah. it. Imagine, like, if they had an ability like that, but it was for space. Yeah, like, convert, like, a, convert, convert a ship. Convert someone else's ship yeah. to your side. That is huge to me. That yeah. seems awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, just not, not a fan of that. Their flagship, they stole Necro's old flagship, which Necro's old flagship was a big deal, but... It was good in the hands of the Necrovirus because the Necrovirus, their ability means they just want to destroy stuff mm-hmm. because they get the tech out of it. Right. These guys, having a ship, let's read what it is. When this ship is destroyed, destroy all ships in this system, including your own. So this is a nuke that mm-hmm. you can launch at people. And the Necrovirus could use that to get tech and annihilate a huge force. Yeah, and get a lot of tech. Get too. a lot. And, well, it would it'd still just be one. Oh, okay. Because yeah, it's yeah, one per yeah, battle. That's how it works, yeah. Um, the, the, the Necrovirus would use their ship to get some tech and also annihilate a huge force. These guys are going to annihilate a force, but, like, to what end? Like, that ship is only used defensively or or offensively but not for a goal. Because if that ship is involved in the combat, you're not going to win the combat. You're not going to take anything. Mm-hmm. So it just gets you nowhere. They are a nuisance to everyone else on the game board, but nothing they do benefits themselves enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their racial tech is dumpster fuel. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about that. I think it's the worst racial tech of the game. Both of them are. Um, after one or more of your units... Yin Spinner is what it's yeah, called. Yeah, Yin Spinner, after one or more of your units use production, place one infantry from your reinforcements on a planet you control in that system. So you get a free ground force every time you use production Mm -hmm. you get half of a trade good every time you use production sarween tools is better than this racial tech right right their other tech impulse core at the so their basic ability is at the end of a combat round their racial tech just lets them do that same ability but at the start of a combat round Mm -hmm. so they get to blow up their own ships twice yeah per combat round cool and not win any fights mm-hmm. unless they sent their entire fleet of cruisers at you. I just don't get what I'm supposed to do with the Yin Brotherhood, and I don't want to talk about them anymore. Yeah, they suck. Let's move on to <laughs> the exact opposite. The Lizix Mine Net. Oh my god. Already a good race was already one of the best races. Yes. Um, and they they didn't they, take anything away from them, I feel yeah. like, and they only uh, made, made them, them better. better. They technically took away some starting tech. Yeah, all. sure. Who all cares? Right. But, but what they added is... Pretty crazy. So much more. Um, if anyone thinks that Lizix Mindnet is not the be- new best race in the game, I don't understand where you're Yeah, I don't from. get it either, and I would like to specifically hear exactly you. what you have to say. Yeah. Like, so... 
Their abilities, assimilate. When you gain control of a planet, replace each PDS and space dock that is on that planet with a matching unit from your reinforcements. So they save themselves an entire round of using construction. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're getting all that stuff for free. I'm pretty sure you can then immediately build out of those space docks. Because taking control of a planet happens before the production step. You take control of the planet. At the end of step four. At the end of step four. And then step five five production. production. Which means they can take control of someone else's planet and then immediately build on it. Which is insane. That is completely bonkers. And then their second ability... We w- I would like to know if that if we are... If, wrong. If, if that's any, what people think. Because yeah. like, I feel like that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it makes sense. It seems way too powerful, but it seems like that is what it is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and their other ability ain't any worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harrow, after every single round of ground combat... Your ships in the active system may use their bombardment abilities against your opponent's ground forces on the planet. To me, that is huge. To I feel like that is a hard counter to so many, to any ground yep. like Sol, Arborek, uh, we just got done talking about Yin. Yep. Um that is a hard counter to all of them. Because yeah. the other thing about Lizards it's a hard counter to any turtling race. I mean Zacha. Yeah. And... Sure, sure. Yeah. Any race that's going to play, it's just such an aggressive ability because everyone knows the whole thing about the Lizix is to play Dreadnought Heavy, yeah. which means you're always going to have a ton of bombardment. Yeah. And worth noting, one of their other abilities that isn't really listed, they have Super Dreadnoughts that have a capacity of two, so they're getting this stuff out. They just don't even need carriers, really, mm-hmm. to be a part of these combats. So they're just using Dreadnoughts as though they were carriers and bombarding the bejesus out of your planets and just taking them. Like, they're just they're just walking through your stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have the flagship during a space combat. Hits produced by this ship and by your Dreadnoughts, which we will assume you'll have a lot of, in the system must be assigned to non-fighter ships, if able. That is so... Is that how it was in TI3? Yeah. Was that the same, same thing? Same thing. Man, I feel but like that so just got good. overlooked by me, because yeah. that is such a crazy flagship. Yeah. But what's the movement on it? Is it one? One. Okay. So, I mean, that's the thing, is all their stuff is slow, but that's only going to be a hindrance for so long. Mm-hmm. They can upgrade their Super Dreadnoughts to where they can't be destroyed by direct hits, and their bombardments and combat values get increased to four. Which is insane. And their move is increased that to That is two. the craziest thing. Yeah. And Inheritance Systems, you may exhaust this card and spend two resources when you research a technology, ignore all of that technology's prerequisites. Which I think they had in TI3. I think it's this. Well, I mean, prerequisites and everything like that work completely differently. Well, that's true, but... I. Yeah, yeah. But suffice it to say, it's a ch- fairly cheap tech. They can get this round two mm-hmm. if they want to. And then all tech costs them two additional resources to get anything. Anything they want. Yeah, that's they're good, guys. They're, they're really very, good. They're very... This is, this, is very a good, good. this is a good race that just got, like, tightened up, basically. Yeah. To me... They were well. They were my number three in TI three. Really? Yeah. They was. Fun. I liked them. I don't know what I don't know what I would rank them in TI three, but they were definitely. If I drew them, it was always a pretty good chance I was going to decide to play with them. The first time I um, ever won TI three was playing as Lizix. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this one. Talked about yeah. some production and fighting. Uh, in the next couple episodes, we're going to start really digging into more specific 
um, intricate parts of the game. Uh, mm-hmm. Next next time we'll talk about really the game phases, and we'll go into a lot more detail on objectives and the agenda phase. Yes, yeah. and if you feel like we're jumping around a lot, like this, we're talking about Twilight Imperium, so go suck your own butt. <laughs> but uh, I think we will eventually do a series of first round recommendations, yeah. like on each race and um that might even be a better place to start with this we kind of just started going with this and talking about the theory the way that we are um and yeah so uh yeah if you have any complaints um you know you could just whisper them to yourself (laughs) thank you Hey guys, uh, just kidding about all the things I just said about uh, criticism. Um, We're actually going to intro a new segment to the podcast. It is called Podcast Errata, where we're going to address some of the stuff we talked about in the first episode um, as far as like your response to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've read some stuff online uh, where people have kind of added extra points and made, I think, some pretty valid points on the things that we talked about in the first episode. And the reason why this is at the end of this episode is because it's uh, you might not care. But here we go. <laughs> so uh, one of the first things was in our discussion of diplomacy, um, we kind of just talked about what we thought was going to be good about it. And there's a pretty good point that we missed, which is the ability so refreshing those planets we kind of dogged on a little bit because it seemed like the primary ability of refreshing planets was worse than the secondary which i still stand by but there's some things that you can do some pretty specific situations you can get in where this ability becomes pretty good specifically schnooker on reddit slash twilight imperium said that um you can take over an opponent's system one turn and on your next turn activate diplomacy strategy to ready that planet and let's say that planet has some sort of tech specialty that you need to get your next tech, you can ready that planet so that you can immediately get it. So you, there, there's just lots of little planets you can take with the specific hope of turning it around that round and giving yourself some sort of big advantage. Right. Especially if the if that planet is what is going to get you a public objective that round. Yeah. Something where everybody's going to be rushing for it. Um, yeah, you can you can lock it down. And with fleet logistics, you could do that all in the same turn. Yeah. Which we're going to be talking about fleet logistics in our tech episode, which I believe is episode four. Um, and, and something to note while we're just bringing it up, the, the power of um, taking a system and then with fleet logistics immediately locking it down with diplomacy, that is not something we have overlooked. Uh, and again, we'll talk about that more, but, but definitely... Definitely agree with you that that's hugely uh, a hugely powerful. Ability. I think that's also just going to be like a, like the part of this uh, segment will be really just reminding people that we're covering the podcast in a very specific order. There's mm-hmm. so much to Twilight Imperium, um, but we we do love we love the response we've gotten. And actually, this might be a good time to say, hey, thank you for all everyone who has responded to the podcast. It's it feels been really good. Yeah, and um, we will continue to interact with everyone who has anything to say about the podcast um and so kind of on that same note of things that um are getting brought up after the fact that maybe we we didn't go into enough detail of i want to talk about ghost of creus a little bit um there's two things that we i feel like we mentioned but we really didn't get into the specifics and the first thing is we barely talked about the ghost of creus flagship at all Mm -hmm. um and the ability for their flagship to be a wandering wormhole directly to their home system is 
certainly powerful. We don't think it's not powerful. What we what we noted during the podcast was we think their tech and their flagship are required gets for them. Mm-hmm. And then we turned that discussion into only about the tech. So we didn't talk about why we think this flagship is a required get. And it is obviously just the power of things like uh, Jimmy Joe from Board Game Geek mentioned that it's it's huge that if you get to Rex, you can just have your flagship there, have a wormhole linking Mechatol Rex to your home system. And that is definitely cannot disagree that that's like yeah. a huge play and will give Ghost of Creus a lot of power. Super awesome. Um, League C Silver from Reddit Twilight Imperium also says, uh, asks actually for the Ghosts of Creus, how do you guys feel about them being the only race that starts with Gravity Drive? They can move farther than any other race in the first turn. And this is the big thing on Arada where we have to go back and say we, we kind of goobered yeah, we, a little we bit. Yeah, we missed this. Um, we didn't think about it that we, way. we counted their we were counting gravity drive when we considered how far they can move, but we didn't counter gravity drive in conjunction with their racial ability to also gain plus one movement from wormholes. So it's important to note that, yeah, they, they can get one step further than pretty much anyone else. Um, but this is worth noting that we're going to talk about these guys again. When we get into trade, the the ability for them, for them to get very far on their first turn has a lot of trade consequences mm-hmm. that we will go into more detail on, and we're not going to waste time going on too much of it so just know it's coming we'll, we yeah. will talk about ghosts we, we again we'll talk about that again jumbo fish from the fantasy flight forums um brought up a cool point that we just totally overlooked and uh and didn't accentuate the, i think the, probably the biggest miss the biggest miss for us one. was we, we talked so much about federation of soul and like this ability to just hold on to your planets and you're putting a lot of dudes in on the board but i feel like maybe we have i've seen people play that way before but two ground forces for a single command counter is a, is a terrible deal, as, uh, as Jumbo Fish points out. And this is definitely more true in Twilight Imperium 4 with there being less command counters. Um, so the, the, the importance of Federation Assault is just the mere fact that you have one extra command counter uh, per round. Uh, Bjarkov from Reddit Twilight Imperium also pointed the same thing out Um Thank you guys for calling us on this. It's something that definitely needs to be addressed. The power of the Federation of Soul is not just in maybe they have the ability to put a bunch of dudes on planets, but it's more, I mean, from a baseline, they have more actions per round than anybody else is going right. to have access that, to. But we, and it's funny that we skipped over this point because wh- one of the first things we talked about in the podcast was that it seems like there's going to be less command counters in play. And we were talking about Soul, yeah. and yeah, we just we didn't connect that. Soul is because the game is going to have less command counters that bonus cc is going to be a lot bigger deal than yeah. it was in ti3 one other point jumbo fish brought up was uh just kind of our our misrepresenting of what xcha's abilities were also thanks uh shut up and sit down for correcting us on our pronunciation of lots X-Chaw. of races they just yeah. released a mini documentary about twilight imperium and we learned that we've been mispronouncing lots of things for a very long time but no more uh so extra we just kind of want to put out the point that we talked about like how bad we thought they were in TI3 and we like misrepresented what their abilities are because it's even worse than what we were saying because yeah. their ability is minus one on opponent's rolls in the first round of combat. So we kind of said it was a minus one on rolls, making it sound like, oh, minus one against all opponent's rolls. That's really, that wouldn't be that bad, but no, it's, it's one time per combat. Yeah, it's pretty useless. Um, so um, important important addendum there yeah we're not changing our overall point but yeah we're just getting more specific about it and that was me actually i think i was just being i was i was struggling to remember it and i just i knew the point of it basically one other point to just bring up just because we like interacting with you guys is uh indie bart on fantasy flight forums brought up 
that you know combat isn't necessarily like the key to victory and being able to have a strong economy and be good at at least decent at technology is going to win the game and and we maybe missed this point in the first episode, but I hope our discussion of Sardak Nor kind of solidified. We super agree with you. We do not think just being good at combat makes you a winner, but it's definitely one of the things that help, and some of these races have such powerful combat abilities that it is hard to um, ignore those things when, like, if someone's going to come through and tear up all your systems and take your home system because their combat abilities are so overpowered, I mean, that's something that you should be concerned about. Right. But combat alone... It's, it's not yeah, enough. it's not going to just score you every objective yeah. or even a huge percentage of them. Do we want to talk about this last one about race selection? Yeah. Bit? So Dustin from Board Game Geek uh, brought up one thing, and it's just something we. It, it's not really an errata, but it's he asked a question, um, and it's just that I find it fascinating. You keep your race selection hidden in your TI three games. I'll be interested to hear how your group handles the race selection and other setup issues in TI four. So the big thing for us was always we had too many games of TI three where. And you know the situation. Uh, maybe it was the guy who won last game and everyone's just really mad that he he made off with such a good victory. Or maybe you've revealed that someone is going to be the Lizix. Um, it's a big problem in the galaxy generation to be able to just like starve that person out from the get-go. And we've had too many games where... There's nothing you could, like, if you start the game with, like, three resources outside of your home system, you are doomed. I know that there's, like, routes to, like, oh, go get into other people's faces and do stuff, but, like, within that first round or two, if everyone's economies are starting to double or even triple yours, there's no coming back from that. And we had way too many games where we just, you started the game losing and we're never going to come back from it. So we started doing this new method where we basically treat Galaxy Generation as a cooperative game. So now what we do is uh, we've all selected our races. We still don't reveal them, and we don't know where any of us are going to sit yet. We deal out the cards uh, just like you normally would, and we, we go through the process of creating the galaxy because that's a very fun step in Twilight Imperium. Um, and sometimes the pre-made maps leave a lot to be desired as far as like unique features on the map. So we still want to create the galaxy, but we don't want to screw someone over right from the get-go so we treat it like a cooperative game and each player goes placing a planet down you're welcome to show your whole hand to each other to see what's coming up um sometimes it's fun not to just so that you do kind of get in those weird circumstances mm -hmm. of like i have to put this supernova somewhere and now we're running out of options or whatever um but in general as we're creating the galaxy if one pie slice starts to look a little bit too weak we all as a group you know, denote that and try to turn it around. And so we start giving that system a couple extra planets. And we've even had situations where once we finish the galaxy, we look at it and go, this one still looks too strong. Let's swap these two tiles. Because really, the game is not creating the galaxy. The game is what you do after you create the galaxy. And making sure you create a galaxy that works is, I think, like integral to the success of a good Twilight Imperium game. It's about a balance between it being pretty even for all players and it also being interesting. The pre-made the pre-made maps that you can get are most of the times too even. Mm -hmm. So the reason we do it this way is just to build it in a way that makes sense, but also throw a couple like planned wrenches into the yeah. formula basically. So that's going to do it for our errata. Thank you guys for checking us out, and uh, we will check you next week. Check you? No. Nope. And we will see you guys next week. We'll blast off next week. Blasting off! Thank you for listening to Space Cats, Peace Turtles. And thank you to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. 
You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>